And our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 3. Luke chapter 4, we'll read first the account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Read the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 4. Hear now the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until he had, until an opportune time. Then turning once more to Genesis chapter 3, we'll continue our study of the first temptation to sin, and we'll read the first 13 verses there as well. Genesis chapter 3, the first 13 verses. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees which is the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. This far the reading for this morning. We'll continue now in the, the series that we're exploring the temptation to sin. And why we want to consider and ask this question, hold this question before us this morning why did the Lord Jesus Christ come into the world? And you might say, well, he came to seek and to save the lost. And in this chapter, Genesis 3, it shows us not only how we fell into sin, but we also read here how God comes, came to seek Adam and Eve when they had fallen, when they were lost, when they were hiding from God. And in verse 8 there we read how the Lord God came walking into the garden and he, he called out to them and he said, Adam, where are you? Because God knows what happened. God knows how it happened. God shows us how it happened. He shows how Satan, you remember, comes to deceive. He, he disguises the temptation so that we think it looks appealing. We considered how, he, how Satan sows the, the seeds of doubt into our mind, doubt about God's Word, doubt about God Himself, how He comes and batters us with, with different lies until we don't know what to believe anymore. God shows us how, how Satan leads us to, to begin thinking evil about God, to doubt God, and to, to think somehow that God is withholding something good from us. And then when our mind has been diverted away from God, Satan then tries to allure us away further from God. He, he draws us with the lust of the flesh. He draws us with the lust of the eyes for what we can see in this world. And as we want to consider further today, how he draws us with the pride of life. But God never changes. And his love for his people never changes. In 1 John 4 verse 9, he says... In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to be tempted because we face temptations daily. And this was already revealed in, in paradise that the Lord Jesus would come. And it's still evident today among us as God walks through this world, figuratively speaking, calling, where are you? Where are you today? 
So we need to keep that in mind as well as we consider the third aspect now of the temptation in verse 6 of Genesis 3, which is the pride of life. We heard in the past week's congregation of, of how Christ came to save sinners who filled themselves with the pleasures of this world. And we can hear amazing testimonies around the world of people who have been saved, drug addicts, prostitutes, alcoholics, all who God powerfully delivers from their consuming sins. You might say, well, that's the, the extreme cases of, of these sins, the lust of the flesh, the appetite of the flesh that seeks to replace God with something in this creation to fill our desires and our lusts. Eve saw that fruit, that the tree that it was good for food. And so it seems in a way understandable that Christ came to show them that they can never be satisfied with the pleasures of this world. We can never replace God with temporal things. We're spiritual beings. And the Lord Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. True satisfaction can only come from God. Psalm 16 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And in this life God gives abundant blessings. But then we considered how Christ came to save those people who surround themselves with the possessions of this world. People greedy for gain, covetous, uh, pursuing riches and, and, and wealth in this world. Here also we can hear of amazing testimonies of people who, are, who have gave it all up for Christ. You hear of the disciples who sold all they had, distributed to the poor. Even today you can hear of, of people who, who give up wealth and honor, business and and what it, fame to, to serve the Lord, to serve the poor. The lust of the eyes. The desire to pursue and to possess what this world has to offer for personal gain. Eve saw that the tree was pleasant to her eyes. And so in a way it seems understandable that Christ came into this world to show us that we can never be satisfied with the possessions of this world. We cannot replace God with, with stuff. This world is, is passing away, is fading away. And the Lord Jesus said, what shall it profit if we gain the whole world and lose our own soul? And God's people know they have an eternal inheritance, inheritance laid up in heaven that never fades away. Christ came to save sinners who tried to replace God with anything and everything in this world. We hear how Christ came and laid down his life for sinners who tried to find purpose, who tried to find satisfaction, and even life without God. He hung on the cross. He, he died under the wrath of God, taking eternal punishment for sinners who rejected God and, as the Bible says, who worshipped the creature rather than the creator. And so it seems understandable that God so loved this world 
that he himself made so beautifully that he sent his own son, you could say, to set things straight and to tell sinners and say, hey, look, you must worship God alone. And to say to us, even Christ paid the sin debt, you must turn to him. To say the Holy Spirit has been given even to turn you and to turn you to him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. But now, this sin of pride. Here God demonstrates his love by showing us that Christ came into this world to save sinners who not only replace God with the world, but sinners who replace God with themselves, ourselves. Sinners who say we are gods. Satan told Eve in verse 4, you will be like God. Your eyes will be opened. You will know good and evil. And Eve saw the tree, that it was a tree to make one wise. I will be like God. No, I will replace God. That, that means we don't need God anymore. We don't want God anymore. And how will Christ convict us of that? If someone says you should not worship this world, it's dying. It can't satisfy you. I see that. Yes, yes, God is better. I will take gladly what is something that is better for me. God has many blessings to give me. That, that's an improvement for my life. It will bring me happiness. It will bring me prosperity. I can worship a God like that. In Borneo, some missionaries went a day's journey down the river to, to reach some tribe. And they, t they told them about the one true and only God, the creator of heaven and earth. And they said, we want him. We'll add him to our collection, so to speak. They, they gladly received the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the creator because he was the most supreme God. But they just added him to their many other gods, their trees, their spirits, the sun, moon, and stars that they worshipped because it was good for themselves. This is how pride works in our hearts. What is best for me? We add something to ourselves without removing the sin. But this sin says, I will replace God with myself. I want my own way. And how dare God not give me what I want? This is the pride of life. This is the sin of pride that makes me want to have my own way all the time. Pride makes us think we are better, that we know it better than other people. We want the control, we want the power, we want the influence. This is why little children even hit each other when it doesn't go their way. They, they, they punch and they kick and they fight and they argue because they want it their way. And pride can show itself in so many different ways and colors. Everyone suffers from it. The rich, the poor, the servant, and the owners. And our pride affects everything that we do. Because we can't even look into the mirror without feeling proud about something. Or being dejected, which is only a hurt, a wounded pride. Manton says that other sins destroy only certain targets. 
drunkenness destroys sobriety. Covetousness destroys liberality. Adultery destroys purity. But pride taints everything in our life. Other sins make us act like animals with our heads down onto this world looking for what we can get, what we can eat, what we can gain to fill our appetites. It brings us down into the lowest gutters of sin and immorality. But pride, pride lifts us up against the face of God. It Pride makes us fly up alongside the devil into the very heavens to spit in God's face. Isaiah 14, Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. Pride made King Nebuchadnezzar say in Daniel 4, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty? Pride is what made Pharaoh say, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? With everything that we do, our hearts so quickly flutter up to heaven and say, Look what I did. I stand in the place of God. I want the glory and honor. Because of pride, Psalm 2 shows how the rulers replace God. And they say, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Pride is the sin that tries to erase God out of this nation, erase His name and everything that has to do with God. It's the sin that says we don't want God's commandments to govern our courts. It's the sin that says we don't want the Lord's prayer to grace our schools. We don't want the Lord's design for our humanity because we don't want the Lord's design to govern our desires. We don't want God in our, in our solutions to addictions and immorality because we are replacing God. Pride is the sin that in Revelation 16 caused the people to blaspheme God instead of repenting and turning to God because of their sin when God poured out the vials of his wrath upon the people. Pride makes us resist what God reveals to us in his word. It makes us resist and rebel against God's wrath, which He has revealed from heaven against our sin. It makes us resist the only way of salvation that is revealed from heaven in the righteousness of God. It makes us despise the salvation that says we need to humble ourselves and recognize that we can do nothing. And to cast ourselves as poor, as blind, as naked sinners before Christ, before the foot of the cross. Empty hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Why? Because our hearts replace God and we want to save ourselves. And that still lives in every heart of the child of God. And that is why we struggle so much with feeling that we're not adequate, that we're not good enough, because we're trying to be good enough ourselves. Or we have, 
Or we so quickly become pride because we think we're better than somebody else. That's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2 that it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Our sins have separated us from God. Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, out of the, out of the presence of God. Our sin brought the curse, and Adam and Eve had to go out and work in the fields under the sweat of the brow. Our sin brought the punishment, and they saw that as soon as Cain killed Abel. But our pride says, God, it's your fault. The woman that you gave me, she made me eat. The woman says, it's a serpent that you created. That, made this, that, this, that tricked me and made me eat. We were the crown of God's creation. The very delight of his heart. His image bearers who walked with him, who communed with him, and talked with him in the garden. But we fell. We wanted to be like God. But we replaced him altogether. And what happens when you take something from someone else? There's enmity, there's wars, there's fighting. If you try to assassinate a king or take over the government in a coup, you'll be tried for treason and you'll be put to death. But that is exactly what we did with God. And our pride set ourselves on the thrones. And yes, God's children still struggle with this pride all our life long. When we face sickness, when we face death and suffering, we say, Why, God, did you allow this in my life? This is not what I want, and this is not what I need, and we can blame him. This is not how I want to live my life, because I know better. The tree was desirable to make one wise, desirable to make me wiser than God, and we exalt ourselves above him. But when it goes good, we take the credit. Romans 1 says, professing, ourselves, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. How often do we become bitter, angry, or grieved when our lives do not go the way that we want? When we hear things we don't want to hear, because we have set the requirements of how we think life should be. Why did Christ come? Why did Christ subject himself to the temptations by the devil? Temptations like we face every day? Not just to convince some ignorant sinners or misguided sinners. Not just to point out a better way to God to give you a better life. But he came to save sinners who were still enemies. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled to the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Yes, he came for sinners who spit in his face. 
who say we do not want this man to reign over us. He gave his life for sinners who rejected him, who spit upon him, who crucified him. He came for sinners who said, I do not want him to rule in our life because I want to go my own way. He comes to rule his children who are just like our own children who rebel against their parents. And our Heavenly Father says, go this way. And we say, no, I want to go that way. How does God convince us that we need him, that we've replaced him with ourselves, that we are sitting on the throne instead of God? By revealing his unsurpassable wisdom of God, Christ, the wisdom of God. The devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan is tempting Christ to the Son of God, to exalt, exalt himself above God, to act in pride against his Father. First he tried to make Satan, er, sorry, first he tried to make Christ doubt. If you are the Son of God, and if God is really good to you, why does he make you starve in the desert? Why does he not even give you the basic necessities in your life? And so he tries to make Christ despair of life, to doubt that he is the Son of God and that God is good. Why is he withholding the blessings of this world? Why do you need to suffer to gain glory? Just take it yourself. So Christ stood where you now stand, dear child of God. You may not be standing on the temple wall, but when Satan makes you despair of life and wonder why God can lead you through certain valleys, why God would withhold certain blessings, why God in his goodness would allow these trials. But there Christ stood and he could say, it is good. It is good. My Father gives me all that I need and more. And he's teaching us to say the same. And here Satan tempts Christ to pride, to overconfidence, and to exalt himself above God, to say, look what I can do. I can jump off this building. My angels will catch me. Show off a little. Prove that you're a God. Prove that you are a Christian by how you live freely and presumptuously and meddling with sins. Prove that you are the child of God and nothing can hurt you. No, Christ quotes scripture and says it is written again you shall not tempt the Lord your God Satan had misquoted that he was only partially correct but Satan was tempting Christ to go beyond what scripture said and to misapply it but Christ stood on the pinnacle of the temple there to disarm your enemy Satan as the only begotten Son of God. He came not to do His own will, but to obey His Father, to submit to the ways of God, 
to trust in Him in every detail. Christ did not act in selfish pride. He did not seek to exalt Himself or prove Himself or even to defend Himself like we're so quick to do. No, Christ came to humble Himself. Philippians 2, He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a servant, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christ, the Son of God, resisted Satan and temptation by humbling himself to become the lowest person on this earth. The Son of God humbled himself because we exalted ourselves to be equal with God, higher than God. Christ came to stand in our place in the temptations because our wisdom became foolishness. Christ came to take our place on the cross under the wrath of God because in our pride we committed treason and tried to remove God from the throne and we deserve that judgment. Christ never came to some sinners who just need some help and some guidance, but sinners who despise, sinners who rejected, sinners who replaced God. Sinners who don't even want to be saved. Why did Christ come? To walk this path to life. He humbled himself. And therefore, Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We exalted ourselves above God in our pride, and eternal destruction was our punishment, our destiny. But instead of trying us for treason and sentencing us all to eternal condemnation, Christ, born the seed of the woman, took on human flesh, humbled himself under the curse of death to take that penalty upon himself so that now he can come and still come and call, where are you? Where are you hiding from God? Where are you still resisting God? Where are you still fighting against God? And children of God, where in your life have we yet not submitted to God and said, your will be done in heaven as it is on earth? on earth as it is in heaven. If Christ came while we were still enemies, if Christ came to find us in tender love when we were rebellious and militant against Him and hiding from His face, how much more can we now come near to Him with all our needs? If God gave His Son, His only Son, when we were still enemies, how much more is everything that he gives to you today done in divine love and mercy? Christ never just came to direct us to a better choice or a better future. But Christ so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
not just to persuade you, but to reclaim the throne of our hearts. He is the rightful ruler. And when Christ resisted the temptations, when he laid down his life for sinners, he took back what rightfully belonged to him. Satan could not cause Christ to fall. And so even today, our pride, our sin, the temptations that which Satan subjects us to cannot stop Christ from saving you and from leading you through. But the path in which he leads us back to himself is a path of humility, the same path in which he walked. Our pride remains a scourge and a burden to us for the rest of our life because it can rise up so quickly. It comes in so many different forms. But God said in Zephaniah, I will leave in your midst a meek and a humble people, and they shall trust. In the name of the Lord, he produces humility in our hearts. When we begin to see how foolish we are, how we exalt ourselves above everything, and at times he lets us fall. When God shows us how how we went our own way, but how he came when we were not looking for him, and he turned us unto himself, and he sought us out. That he would send his son for someone like me to take my place and to take my guilt. And we can say, all that the Lord does in our life is good because I deserve nothing of it. And he knows what is right and best. That he would come and take someone like me to rescue me from my pride and that he would continue to humble me daily so that I can submit myself wholeheartedly to him in his ways. Because we struggle with that daily. It takes humility to obey God as our Father. It takes humility to submit to his ways when we do not understand them. It takes humility to trust him in all our ways when we so badly want to go our own ways. But Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Jesus himself said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he led the way, he showed the way, and God, his Father, exalted him above all else. And so we're left with what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. All of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Amen.